0: helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now, let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. I'm really excited for this episode because it is with a woman I really admire and someone that I've known for the last decade. Dawn Nickel is the founder of She Recovers and the author of a new book of daily meditations, She Recovers Every Day. Dawn is a respected thought leader in women's Recovery. She, along with her daughter, Taryn Strong, who I also know well, are the founders of the She Recovers Foundation, a not for profit grassroots organization that inspires hope, reduces stigma, and empowers women in or seeking recovery for substance use and or mental health challenges. Dawn is a certified professional recovery coach with a PhD and professional experience related to women and healthcare policy. In her work as a researcher and consultant, Dawn is focused largely on exploring how best to support women who experience substance use disorders, mental health issues, and intimate partner violence. The three issues that prompted Dawn to start her own personal recovery journey in 1987, and I could read way more, but Don is here, and I can't wait to talk. So, Don, welcome.
1: Hi, Casey. It's great to see you this morning. Yeah, it's great to see
0: you too. And I wanted to say that Don has actually been on the podcast before, talking about pathways to recovery and patchworks and and adding different supports to your recovery journey. And her daughter, Taryn, who also founded She Recovers with Dawn, has been on talking about yoga and essential oils for recovery. So I will link to both of those episodes in the show notes. But since many people will have not listened to those yet, can you tell me about you, about She Recovers, you know, introduce yourself to the
1: audience? Sure. Thanks, Casey. Well, my name is Dawn. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm a woman in long-term recovery. Um I did. I got into recovery in 1987. I had a, a serious substance use issue. I was addicted to cocaine and I had been addicted to cocaine, benzos, marijuana, and alcohol for years. And, and But I had had a couple of kids. So once I started having my children in 1981, it was just a process of, I call it my harm reduction period, trying to stop doing the drugs. So I would most do quite well for a period of months, sometimes even a year or so. And then I would binge and lose kind of any grounding that I would got at that time. So by 1987, I recognized that, um, you know, I was just one of those people, and we're not all this, this person, but I was one of those people that really needed in in patient treatment, uh, in order to really get a clean, kind of grounded, 28 days worth of recovery, and uh, guidance and education and all the things that you get in inpatient. And while I was in in inpatient recovery treatment program, I realized I had to do something about an abusive marriage that I was in, or I wasn't going to succeed in anything. So I kind of left treatment, left my husband, took my kids, moved away, started recovery, continued to smoke pot for a couple of years, but now you know, haven't drank or done cocaine or benzos since. And I'm pretty proud of that. You know, I think it'll be 36 years this July. And it was just the beginning of my recovery, right? It was um, learning how to live alcohol free, which, again, you know, for me, I'd had it by that point. So I I really appreciate learning and and getting to know so many women these days who are like, kind of intervening in their own life earlier in the process. And so there's this sense of maybe missing alcohol or wondering what your life is going to be like without it. And I, I really appreciate that. But for me, I was so done. I can honestly say that since I got out of treatment, I've never craved alcohol. And I, and I mean, that isn't, that's not because I'm a superpower or a superwoman. It's because I was just that done. I was so, so done. So my recovery pathway for the first 10 or so years was very, very much uh, in 12-step recovery in a program, not just for alcohol, but for all drugs. And it was life-changing. I mean, there I found community. I had kind of a roadmap for introspection and self-reflection. I think that that's what 12-step recovery really offers you, right, is community and kind of a plan. Here's what you want to do. You want to look at different things and work on different things. So it was wonderful. But I started to supplement with therapy and lots of reading and, you know, yoga and a meditation and breath work at, you know, kind of various levels of that. I'm, I'm not a big yoga person, which it took me years to admit that to my daughter after we kind of built foundation of she recovers on yoga and trauma-informed yoga retreats. But yeah, over about 12 or 13 years, uh, that was my pathway. And then uh, I'd gone back to university and just you know life happened. I had young kids who turned into teenagers and I did drift away from my program. I've never left my program of recovery. I still consider myself a member, but it's not really a big part of my life these days. Uh, it hasn't been for quite a few years. I've found other other ways to do recovery. And part of what I did um, after going to school for 13 years, I was a little bit addicted to going to school, was I got out of school. Um, my mom had passed away. I was in a lot of grief. Um, i She died of cancer. A few years later, I had cancer. And I felt at a certain point in my life that I was just really behind. And I know that, again, a lot of women in recovery do have that sense. I've wasted all this time. And mine wasn't that I'd wasted it. It was just more that It was late, like time was running out. I experienced so much death and cancer that I knew, you know, that and I had cancer, so I just wanted to make sure my life was full. Unfortunately, I decided to fill it with work. And, you know, I kind of felt like I was behind financially and all those things. So um, for about five or six years after I finished my PhD, I worked really, really hard, too hard, ended up burnt out and uh, losing kind of my footing in my recovery, kind of nearly demolishing my marriage turned up my relationships with my kids upside down because I was so neglectful of them. I mean, they were young women at the time, but they still, kids always need your mom. Sorry to tell you, mom's out there. And uh, so I went on a leave for four months after I hit the wall with workaholism and started to reflect again on my life and started a new kind of version of my recovery, this time focused on workaholism. And I used a lot of the same tools that I'd used Um, earlier in my recovery from substance use, I did turn to a 12-step recovery program called Workaholics Anonymous. I never, I've never been to a meeting, but I just, you know, I love the literature and I read it often and went back to therapy, did start doing, you know, pretty intensive kind of yoga, just kind of continued on for about four months, figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up again, you know, and uh, what I wanted to do was become a recovery coach which I did the recovery coach training in 2012, we started Taryn and I decided we would host yoga retreats. I'll tell you the yoga, the recovery coach training I took was with Crossroads recovery Coach, and I don't think it's actually in existence anymore. It was a great program. It was a year long. And towards the end of it, I realized I didn't really want to be a coach. I didn't want to coach people one on one. I love all of you women who are doing coaching. And I think it's wonderful. But I'm such an introvert, which surprises people. And I just didn't want to be one-on-one with people over and over again. So um, I don't think that that it was a waste of time. I learned so much about myself during the recovery coaching. I use it in my work. I use it in my family. I mean, I use it all over the place. Um, but I knew that I did want to do something with women in recovery, even if it was just off the side of my desk. So Taryn and I started the retreat program, and she recovers just kind of then evolved into Us hosting conferences, us doing our own She Recovers coach designation for already certified coaches who wanted to more align themselves with our principles and our philosophy. And yeah, the last, that was 2011, 2012, we started the retreat program. It's 2023 now. So 11 years we've been doing this thing called She Recovers. Today I am the chair of the foundation. We're now a nonprofit. Taryn is the co chair. And neither of us work full time for the foundation, but we do um, we do advise, you know, strategic strategically. And and of course, we just pitch in on all the projects that we're interested in. And that if they if they want our help, they get our help. But it's really uh, Taryn has a baby boy now and she has her own coaching business. You know, she coaches around the trauma of money and money empowerment for women. And I went back to consulting. So I I do consulting in mental health and and addictions and uh, I love it, but I don't do it. Full time, so that I do have enough work, enough time left over to engage in my different passions. One is writing, and the other is she recovers. I really work hard not to fall into the workaholic trap.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love hearing you talk about your journey, and I'm so impressed with everything you've built. And I just wanted to say or to share that the first time that Dawn and I met. I met her in a Facebook group. You actually reached out to me on the Facebook group. I was men. It was 2013. My son Hank was five. My daughter hadn't been born yet. I was maybe 20 days alcohol free. It was the first time I'd ever participated or known any people at all who were in recovery, even if it was just online. And I was going to Victoria where Don lives on sort of a long weekend with my husband and son and was posting in the group about how scared I was and how I'd never been on a trip without drinking or never gone out to dinner without drinking. And I didn't really talk to my husband about much. And Don replied, to my post and said, I live in Victoria, do you want to get together? And I was totally scared, which I'm sure people listening to this can get just talking to someone in person, seeing someone in person, who was in recovery, meeting, you know, a quote, unquote, stranger, which cracks me up now. Somehow telling my husband that I was meeting someone in Victoria that I'd met online, that sounded really weird and breaking away from that. And Don picked me up in our car and we drove to a coffee shop and we had coffee and we went to the beach and sat on the beach on these logs and talked. And it was amazing. You literally were the first person I'd ever met in person
1: in recovery. That gives me chills. And it, you know, that was the first time that I'd ever taken anybody to that particular beach. Oh, really? And it was such a nice experience that now almost every time somebody comes to town, if we want to go and have a coffee on the beach, um, I go there. So I think of you pretty well every time I walk down those stairs. I remember the first time that I was there. The island was fairly new to me. Um, Well, I guess by then I'd been here eight years. I've been here almost 18 years now. But um, I just, I love, it was the two things I love sharing more than anything in my life are my recovery and where I live. So kind of brings those two things together. And I love doing that.
0: And I know we're going to talk about all the things you do. But I was surprised when you said you didn't want to do one on one coaching. And I totally understand that because it's a really intense experience. I think I've worked with like over 120 women, at this point, but it's a really close experience where you go through all the emotions and all the hard stuff and the good stuff. Um The reason I was surprised is I've been, gosh, to four or five of the She Recovers retreats, as well as your big conferences in Miami and Los Angeles over the last seven years. Um your retreat, especially in Salt Spring Island, British Columbia, so incredibly gorgeous. I think it was 30 women. I stayed in a yurt. I did yoga with Taryn. I mean, she smudged us. We had a sound bath. It was like the coolest thing ever, but you connect individually with all of those women.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love, so I love one-on-one connections. Absolutely. I guess for me, I just, well, honestly, I, I think that I'm not a good coach because I'm just too bossy. And <laughs> I think, I think because I've been around for as long as I have, and I've, I've seen so much and I've experienced so much, um, I, I think I just always want to jump to the solution. Yeah. And so I realized when I was doing, and, and my coach in the training, I was always, the, um, instructor was always saying, no, 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 let her figure it out. Let her figure it out. Like interrupting me. Cause I was getting like, Argh! Yeah. and so I think that that was part of it just the idea that yeah I, I just not that I think I know so much but I just I'm impatient and I want people to get it and yeah. so I think that I'm I, I, I'm impatient with myself and I want to kind of move ahead and that's not coaching um <laughs> so I recognize that and the other thing is just I feel like it's such a big responsibility yeah um because it is and although I like I said I love the one-on-one I don't want the pressure of yeah. I just don't want the pressure. Yeah. I just, I, yeah. want the, I just want the engagement and I want the connection. I yeah. don't want the pressure to help anybody necessarily. Like, you know, if I'm not coaching you, I'm just talking yeah. to you. You can believe yeah. what I have to say.
0: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy But one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com H-E-L-P. dot com. Slash someday. Well, I mean, I know you've helped so many people. Um, I've seen it in huge groups in Miami and Los Angeles. I've seen it in intimate one on one groups. You certainly helped me a lot, even though I was sober for a year and I went back to drinking and I was so scared to disappoint you. Um, Even though I went quiet, you probably knew but you've helped me a ton. So I am so excited to have you on again. And let's talk about your book.
1: Yeah, my book. I wrote a book. I wrote, a, a, well, I'm, I'm always writing books. I just don't always publish them. Um, I'm working on some other books now. This book is called She Recovers Every Day, Meditations for Women. It's published by Hazelden Publishing. And it's, um, some people maybe. Familiar with the idea of kind of a daily reader or a daily reflection or a daily meditation book, and that's what this is. Um, and reading daily readers has been a part of my recovery for the last thirty six years. And the first one that I ever had was a Hazelden book, actually by a woman named Karen Casey. It's called "Each Day a New Beginning," and that book just turned forty years old this year. And I just love it. I love I you know. And then the other one that I read all the time, I'm looking at them right here. They're across the room. "Meditations for Women Who Do Too Much" is one that. Mm. i picked i think my daughters gave it to me for christmas the first year that i was in recovery from workaholism and i love the practice i think that recovery is a practice so you know everything that i do now is kind of i have a writing practice and a a daily reading practice and a, a little bit of a stretching not yoga really practice and a meditation practice but um I love the idea of just holding a little book in my hand and once a day reflecting on something. And um, so when Hazelden invited me to write this book, I kind of went, oh my gosh, that's not actually the book that I've been planning on writing or that I was even working on. I was writing on, you know, a book kind of about the practice of recovery at the time. Um, But I agreed to do it and I did it and it was just a lovely experience. And I love that this book is out in the world. I love when somebody reaches out and says, his reading really resonated or if I see a picture of somebody who just got the book you um, know, I've seen, I have pictures now on my phone of cats holding the book and babies holding the book and dogs holding the book. So I really, yeah, I just love that it's out in the world and that people are um, the people that I know and love. And then a whole bunch that I don't know are kind of thinking about the same thing on any given day. If they're sitting with my book, it's yeah. just a really special feeling.
0: Yeah. It it's kind of amazing that you just said that the book you wanted to write was about the practice of recovery. And I say that because I have your book pulled up and the reading that I was hoping you were gonna read was September 28th that literally says recovery is a practice.
1: So we're this was not fixed. We didn't. I
0: did not know you were going to do that. I know we didn't talk about <laughs> it in advance. Don was laughing at me. Um, I interviewed her uh, in person at my friend and your friend's Ingrid's bookstore in Seattle maybe a week and a half ago, and Don was saying that everyone else who interviewed her asked her to pick the readings, and she's like, "Casey, you are like, I'd like you to read this one and this one and talk about that." So. I that love is it. amazing that we picked, uh, you were talking about the one I had pulled out. But would you read us the one on September 28th about recovery as a practice?
1: I'd love to. Recovery is a practice. I'm passionate about reminding people that recovery is something that we get to design for ourselves. And that includes defining how and at what pace it unfolds. Recovery can only be fairly and properly defined by the individual seeking or living in it. The concept of having a recovery practice lends itself well to such ideas. When it comes to my recovery, what my recovery practice is made up of, and for what purpose or outcome, is up to me. Your practice of recovery is up to you. Your loved one in or seeking recovery will have to determine their recovery practice, and will need your support in that practice and how it might evolve over time. The concept of recovery as a practice works particularly well for women who have a history of feeling disempowered in their lives and or their recovery. This is especially true for women who have been impacted by abuse, systemic racism and other traumas. The more opportunities we each have to exercise agency and choice in defining both the parameters and the patchwork pieces of our recovery, the better. And then each daily, refla- each daily reading kind of ends with a reflection and the reflection for September 28th is, we design our own practice for recovery and then we commit to following it imperfectly.
0: I love that perspective, because I know for many of us, myself included, um, recovery or walking away from drinking or whatever your substance is or whatever is going on in your life, often is not a straight line. I know it wasn't for me, you know, you think about it for a long time. And you know, just the steps of like, awareness and, you know, contemplation and then action and it's not you take action you stop drinking and for some people that's it for other people it's for me I you know stopped drinking for four months I immersed myself in the world for the first time I met a lot of people online I actually attended AA for four months went to a lot of big book studies, um, women's meetings, And then I got pregnant and I sort of inched myself away from recovery. I was like, well, I'm not drinking. And, you know, I was doing that slow shuffle away from everyone who knew. I was thought I had a problem with alcohol. And when I had Lila, I sort of slowly went back to drinking and I thought it was, or I wanted to tell myself my issue was situational. Right. It wasn't the alcohol. It was my stress, my marriage, my kid, my job. My job was a big one. I changed jobs and I was like, I'm better now. Right. I'm, I'm not going to drink in that way again. And then, you know, of course, very quickly got back to drinking in that way again. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that was one, I felt like complete garbage and my anxiety came back and my depression came back and my relationships got worse and all those things. But I also knew too much. I knew how I felt without alcohol in my life. I knew everything about, I knew alcohol was a problem for me. At that point, I wasn't oblivious anymore. I knew I was gonna have to stop drinking at some point. I just was thinking I could play out the string for a little bit longer. I was like, I don't want to just stop yet because it was yeah. hard. Um, and so I like that, you know, in many situations, you're very much shamed for, and, you know, we see this all the time, right? Another day one, another day one, another day one. Um, And yet sometimes you have to do that in order to realize that it's the substance, not you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: It does. I'm sitting here thinking, wow, just everything I have to say about recovery these days, I can re- point to a page. <laughs> Do it. Do it. No, I'm not going to. I won't. But there's, there is. Uh, you know, I wrote a reading, I wrote something called, uh, there's a, an entry, I don't really know what day it is, called Recovery is Not Linear. Mm -hmm. and it's that exact point right and you spoke also you know you were talking about the stages of change without identifying them as the stages of change and we're ready when we're ready and the stages of change is a kind of a sociological psychological theory that says we anything anytime we're going to change a behavior there's a process that we go through we start with pre-contemplation and pre-contemplation like you know we're kind of some people call it denial there's actually there's no issue we're not even thinking about it And then contemplation, we start to think, oh, maybe there's some changes that are needed and I wonder what they would be and wonder if I could do them. Eventually we do move into action. And then once we, you know, sometimes we stay in action and sometimes we move back to contemplation or (laughs) pre-contemplation. I have no problem or maybe I have a problem. And it's just, it's this, it's not linear. So this is, it's a circle. It's not linear at all. And then we move into maintenance. If we kind of, once we get our, kind of balance in it we're in maintenance and one of the beautiful things that i love about um a revised vision of this of um, the stages of change is kathy robbins a wonderful she recovers coach talks about the stage after maintenance which if you look at it like kind of the actual diagram it's maintenance and then it goes up and it's relapse Mm -hmm. which is really a bummer like how did Kind of depressing to think that after all this maintenance, the only thing I have to do is either stay in maintenance forever, the rest of my life, or relapse. And so, Kathy draws in this next stage called, and it's kind of takes you out of the circle and it's called celebration. Mm. And I just love that, you know. And and as long as I'm celebrating my recovery, I'm not going to go back to relapse, but I'm not just hanging out in maintenance. I'm not just doing the deed. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm just not here. I'm like, this is cool stuff. And the day one thing, again, there's another reading in there where I talk about day ones. And when people in our, in our community come in and say day one again, they say it like that, right? Day one. Like it's just self, you can feel the self loathing and shame, as you say. And like, I just want to go, what do you mean? It's day one again. Like you're doing it again. You're trying again. You're not giving up. This is amazing. Keep going. Try again today. And Maybe Thursday will be day one again, and you can celebrate that too. Because the truth of the matter is, the theory behind stages of change really is that we change when we're ready, and we're not always ready, and or we're not always as ready as we think we are. Uh, and even when we really truly are ready, that doesn't mean that we figured out how to cope without the thing that has allowed us to continue to cope unhealthily or not for as many years as it has. So yeah. I just think self compassion, you know, Kristen Neff's work is just so foundational and everybody in recovery should be familiar with it. We've got to give ourselves grace and, um, and, and self compassion because I do. I talk about the unicorns that say, that's it. I'm done. I'm never doing this drug or I'm never drinking again. And, and they never do. And I just do not understand those people. That was not my story. I would love to understand. I would say it's probably less than. of people when it comes to substances that says, I'm done, that's it. Because I know very few people in my own life. Yeah, And I know thousands and thousands and thousands of people in recovery.
0: When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. to get 25% off your first order with the promo code hello and get ready to sleep well one of the things when you're talking about the circle i've always thought of and i've seen this unrelated to recovery in particular as you know we think that progress any self improvement anything you're doing should be this sort of straight Diagonal line. And the illustrations I've seen that I love are like, here's what it actually looks like. And it's sort of like a straight line and then a squiggle and a circle. And but you're moving in a direction where you want to go. It's just not a straight line. And I love Kathy. And I, you know, I hadn't heard that about celebration. I met Kathy in person for the first time actually down on a She Recovers retreat in Mexico, which was incredible on the beach and just so many women with so much wisdom. And when I think about that progress, you are learning and practicing and building muscles and gaining awareness every time you do sort of a loop on your path. I mean, that's what happened to me. Like, I, I knew too much. I'd learned too much. I had that trial and error of like, yeah, I tried to moderate pretty quickly, went back to a bottle, bottle on more a night, obsessing about it, worrying if it's enough, trying to hide it, whatever it is. Note to self, it's not two glasses of wine out, you know, at dinner with my husband. When you talked about celebration, my thought is, I mean, I always think that because drinking was my thing, that the goal of doing all this work is not only to not drink again, to go through the rest of your life not drinking. That for me is not the goal. Not drinking is the foundation of everything else I want to achieve in my life and can't do when I'm stuck. And so if my goal was just to navigate my life alcohol-free Yes, I wouldn't have hangovers and, and all that good stuff. But it holds you back to such an extent to your potential and your your imagination and what you think is available to you that once you stop drinking or whatever it is, and the shame and the self-loathing and all the crap, you get to do all the other stuff. And when you're talking about celebration, what Kathy talked about, that's what I imagine.
1: Oh, entirely. I mean, it's about, it's about finding joy and, and not like there's the big joyful things, right? It's like, okay, now I'm in recovery or sober or whatever, whatever my situation is. And I want to be able to dance at my daughter's wedding and have this wonderful time. But I don't know, joy for me, like literally I am joyful on a day like yesterday when we've already done our family Easter celebration, which was, we did it on Friday because Taryn was here with the baby. And so yesterday, we didn't have any obligations. I didn't know what day it was, as you know. <laughs> uh, I thought this, <laughs> I panicked yesterday because I thought it was- No wonder, I was, wonder. I was like, you thought myself. it was Monday <laughs> on Easter, but it I have no idea what day it is on, on long weekends. But my joy yesterday was that I decided I was gonna stay in my pajamas all day, that I was going to change the furniture around in my living room because I hadn't done that for a long time. And since I was a kid, there's something about, I actually want to write about it because I I think there's probably something really deeply important about this, but change the living room around. And I wanted to just watch the um, last season of The Crown, which has been around forever and I haven't watched. And all day yesterday, like I was in joy. I was in joy at not having to put my clothes on, no bra. I'm a no bra person. If people know me, they know (laughs) that about me. And like, that's the kind of joy that I love in my life. Just the joy of a simple beautiful life you know I connected with a few people and I wanted to say I uh, going back if I may to the whole coaching thing yes part of the complication for me was I love one-on-one I love messaging people or responding to messages I love emails I love meeting people and I didn't know how I was going to create a boundary around okay I'm, I'm talking to this person for half an hour through messenger because I care But tomorrow I'm going to be talking to somebody else and have to send them an invoice. Like, how am I going to navigate that? Am I going to have to stop talking for free? You know, just all these really silly things. So that was one thing that I was thinking about afterwards. And the other around celebration, I mean, I love watching like you and other moms yesterday, you know, on Sunday and all this. I can see the moms that are putting in my daughter, Ashley, like the effort she puts into those Easter egg hunts. It's like, Oh my gosh. I actually sent her a message and I said, you must have been horrifically disappointed in your childhood because it's just the things that you moms do for your kids nowadays, but really showing up and being present. And you know, I, I saw that you know your son was still into having helping her out or being involved in the Easter egg hunt. Well, he was and in those racing the things, around right? and
0: beating her and finding way too many eggs. And I was like,
1: dude,
0: let her have some.
1: Aww, so cute, so cute. Yeah. And my granddaughter, you know, leaving a note saying Easter. Your- um, Easter bunny, please make sure you leave a couple of eggs somewhere obvious. So my two, my almost three year old brother can find some. Wow. It's just being present and aware for our families and for our kids and our grandkids. It's that's the joy. I mean, like I, I don't know that I'll ever get back to what I used to think was joy, like the excitement and the adrenaline of cocaine and <laughs> champagne, which was my life for some. I mean, that was a different type of excitement. Yeah. I, I don't want that anymore but I don't seek that anymore either. I just, I want to live a simple present life Yeah, and we get to do that. And with regard to the, um, going back to the stages of change, I think, yeah, it's just, we change. Like, and, and I guess the thing for me is I don't think we change much when we're numbing out day after day after day. I think it's just same old, same old. Everything is predictable. And when we're show up and we're present for our life, I mean, the excitement is we don't know what's going to happen and everything's going to happen and some of it's going to be great and some of it's not, but we're going to be there for it. And yeah, um, I, you know, I got clean and sober for my children and, and then now I stay in recovery for myself. But hmm. anyway, all that just to say, I, I love just reflecting upon and witnessing moms showing up for their kids in a way that I didn't for my kids, you know, yeah. but I get to see. My children doing it. Um and I did show up for them. I just was not nearly as present and aware during the first years of their life.
0: Yeah. Well, me neither. Right. (laughs) My my son was five the first time I stopped drinking for a year. And then I went back and stopped when he was eight and my daughter was two was when I when I stopped drinking. And like you said, you show up for your kids. Like I did all the things. And there were lots of moments that were incredible. But that ticker tape in the back of my head, thinking about, oh, is there a glass of wine, blah, blah, blah. Do I have enough at home? You know, is it too early to pour on the weekends? That was always in the back of my mind. With the stages of change, something I thought about was, The idea that my hope in the work that you're doing with She Recovers with the work that this podcast is doing, and I love going on other podcasts that are not recovery podcasts, ones like Shameless Mom Academy or other podcasts about mental health, because a lot of those women either aren't aware or aren't in the pre-contemplation phase, but they know that something isn't right. And I think as sort of alcohol-free Instagram and TikTok and Facebook is growing more and all the news about alcohol and your body and your health. I mean, there was a huge New York times study, uh, story just two days ago that, you know, sorry, wine lovers, no amount is good for you version. Um, I feel like we're moving more people into that awareness and pre-contemplation where
1: I was pretty oblivious up until the age of 32, 35. Right. Well, I mean, I was 27 when it occurred to me that maybe it was the drugs. Right. You know, like, so I totally get that. In 1987, no, there was just no discussion about it. You know, Mm -hmm. I talk about even being a teenager who was on drugs and overdosing. And my parents in 1985, like they had no idea what to do with me. Nobody was talking about it. Yeah. You know, they, so yeah, I think the information is there. And I think that there are still people who don't hear it and don't know it. Yeah. And don't understand that there's another way to live. So I think you're right. It really is. We're trying to redefine recovery at she recovers, We want yeah. it to be Really primarily, it's about mental health, right? I think for, for, for me, I believe that it's kind of our mental health that leads us to depend on substances and also situational things in our life. Um, but really mental health and, and trauma, et cetera. So the more we can recover out loud, as you do, and I do, and so many of us do, the more likely it is that somebody's going to hear us and go, Oh, wow, it never occurred to me that, you know, drinking wine every single day of my life is not a solution or that it's holding me back. It's, you know, that it's actually, or or even just that it's something I should think about for a minute. Yeah. Yeah,
0: completely. Or I was unaware for the longest time, truly oblivious that my 3am wakeups were caused by the wine I was drinking. I thought it was caused by my anxiety at work or imposter syndrome or being worried about the next day or my boss's email. That's what I thought it was. And then you slowly get this awareness around it. Now I have to say that I'm sure some people are listening to this and being like, yeah, alcohol causes anxiety. I don't care. The only reason I say that is because people, I drink a lot of coffee and people tell me all the time, like, well, if you're anxious, you should not drink two Yeti tumblers of coffee every day. And I'm sort of like, shut your mouth. Can I have nothing. In can I have nothing in my life.
1: So, uh, I will tell you, I will tell you. And uh, sorry, you can tell me to shut my mouth. But when I ended up hitting the wall with workaholism and going back into therapy, my therapist and I under- kind of uncovered the fact that anxiety had probably been what had been driving all of my dysfunctional behaviors for my entire life. And I gave up caffeine. And I drank decaf coffee and yes, it was a hard transition, but I wouldn't, I know the difference now. Sometimes I'll have a coffee because I want to get buzzed. Like it's ridiculous, but, but I love decaf coffee and I, you know, I have a beautiful latte machine and I make lattes in the morning with decaf coffee. It really has made a difference for me, but I would never, ever tell somebody else to stop. All right, all right, I'll think about it. Well, then, but that's it. So, like, you're at the contemplation stage, you're not ready for action. So, don't even go there because you're just going to drink coffee and then you're going to go, oh no, day one again.
0: (laughs) I (laughs) I just get to the point where I actually want to give it up. Recognize your
1: willingness. And if you're not willing, then don't, then then kind of don't do it. And it's, you know, I almost have the same advice for people who are contemplating giving up substances, unless you're, you're, unless your life is absolutely being destroyed by them, then you need to give them up. Like, there's just no doubt about it. But, if you're like really, really not for sure thinking that you have a problem or want to stop drinking wine, you're not going to stop drinking wine. You know, you're not you're probably not going to do it just because you read somewhere that it's, like, it's a healthy lifestyle change. Yeah. And like, just accept that. And, and that doesn't mean that you can't moderate. You can't drink less or less often or, or, you know, wine and not like all those things. I mean, people talk about moderation in recovery circles, like it's a bad thing. No, it's not it's harm reduction. Anything you do to reduce the harms of any substance that you're taking is a good news story.
0: Yeah, and what I always tell people, which is interesting as I'm looking at my Yeti, (laughs) is you know what your life looks like and feels like when you're drinking. You know what the next three months are going to look like, the highs and the lows. And if you're considering or starting to become aware Uh, that alcohol is bringing a lot of crap into your life, just do an experiment, you know, and you may need support with that or guidance or whatever it is, but do an experiment to see how you feel alcohol free and not four days, but a hundred days. So Dawn, when I do my, my caffeine free experiment for a hundred days, I will tell you, but not promising it yet. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. and use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. So to get back to your work, I know one thing that we wanted to touch on and talk about is gathering in person and how powerful that is. And I know you have your fourth uh, huge sort of She Recovers conference coming up in Chicago. Can you talk about that and what's what it's going to be
1: like, and your yeah. speakers, and all that good stuff. I'd love to. I'd like to start off just by saying that we just uh, she recovers started off with in person events, retreats primarily, and then conferences, but also sharing circles. So our she recovers coaches all over the world. Before the pandemic, we had close to forty sharing circles taking place. Twenty nine of them were in in um, the United States. So we just really believe believed before the pandemic. The in-person connections were really key, although we, you know, we were meeting each other online as well. And I, I obviously, I think that online recovery has been an absolute gift from the universe to women in and seeking recovery. But nowadays, we're going back to in-person post, kind of post-pandemic, and we're go- getting back into sharing circles. So we do have—I I don't even know how many right now. I want to say like sixteen sharing circles struck up, mostly in the United States. A couple in Canada, maybe one in Sydney, Australia still. And those are free. And as a foundation, we're really committed to making sure that we have free offerings. Our, all of our meetings online are free. We have educational mental health Mondays. We have different things that are free. Our conferences are not free. And, you know, they're actually one of the ways that we raise money so that we can do all the free things that we do do. And so I just always want to start off by saying I recognize that not everybody's going to be able to afford our conferences. What we're doing in 2024 is moving back into offering retreats again, and we're going to be offering retreats at various levels. So we'll have our usual kind of the retreats that you're used to, the, not in Mexico necessarily, but in other places that are higher end, nice retreats. And then we're looking at having um, some other like intensive theme focus kind of with clinicians. We're looking at doing some identity based retreats, LGBTQ plus, walk, Healthcare and Allied Professionals, etc., but we're also looking at having smaller localized retreats where our coaches will host in and around their communities. And they'll, these will be affordable, more accessible co- um, retreats. So we're, we're looking forward to that. That said, She Recovers in Chicago is our fourth. We, we went to New York City in 2017, LA where you were at in 2018 and this past April after much delay, we did She Recovers in Miami. So She Recovers in Chicago. The focus of the weekend um, Thursday is actually a it's called our professional symposium and it's for coaches and therapists and people in the um, behavior health industry. It's, you know, just a whole bunch of wonderful speakers. There's six CEUs for people who collect CEUs. So that's kind of a separately t- ticketed event. Then Friday, she recovers in Chicago, kicks off. And we're going to be doing some identity-based kind of um, roundtables. So our identity-based groups will gather and we'll also be making space for other communities, like I don't know if you have a Hello Someday community, but um, people who people who have communities can kind of reach out to us and ask if we can kind of find them a little spot mm-hmm. at the hotel, which is the Palmer Hotel in downtown Chicago. It's incredibly beautiful, as I understand it. I haven't been there yet. So Friday will be that. And then Friday night, we'll have a wonderful stage program. It's kind of going to be fun and musical we have a solo travelers meet up on the first night for people who've traveled on their own and don't know anybody. And so many people come to our conferences on their own. It's incredible. And many of them like just make connections there that they have kept to this day. Beautiful stories have come out of that. Um, Saturday, we've got workshops and talks. Uh, the focus of the entire weekend is our stories our strength. So our workshop themes will be around telling story, like learning how to tell our stories. Telling it in art, telling it with spoken word, telling it in song, telling it on writing. Um, and Delset Johnson is doing a workshop. Mm-hmm. We've got the um, author those... of the Drink, Drink, the novel, yes. um, not
0: novel, the book. No, Drink. And yes. I've had a like memoir her
1: on the show. Long Probably long. one of the very first books on women and alcohol, yes. other than, you know, Drinking a Love Story, the yeah. memoir, right? Yes. Really kind of helped kickstart, I think, what we see as the women's modern recovery movement. Elizabeth Gilbert is our speaker on Saturday night. That we'll be having a foundation dinner. incredible. I know. that is ah, it's incredible. Been years in the making. Yeah, and uh, we'll yeah. have our famous signature silent disco on Saturday night after Elizabeth Gilbert. Sunday, our speaker is Valerie Core, an amazingly beautiful Sikh woman who's written a book called "See No Stranger," and she started. She's built a beautiful platform called Revolutionary Love, and she. Uh, she's an anti-racist advocate and a woman in recovery from trauma herself. And we're really delighted that she's going to be joining us. Yeah, we're still kind of just filling in a few little pieces of the puzzle, but we'll have a marketplace and lots of po- opportunities for connection and some meals. You know, lunch is always a great yeah. time on Saturday and Sunday. We're really looking forward to it. Um, tickets are on sale now. We're still looking for exhibitors and sponsors. And um yeah, it's you know, people who have never been to a celebration of women's recovery, you, I can't even describe, maybe you can describe the energy at these conferences. Well,
0: you know what's interesting? So obviously I've been to smaller retreats and they were incredible in terms of like, especially in early sobriety, just actually meeting in person lots of women in recovery. I went to the Los Angeles one. What year was that again? 2018. Okay. So I was Beverly Hilton. Yeah. Maybe two years alcohol-free and that was amazing as well. And I know a lot of women went before they were completely in recovery, right? They were trying and not trying and going to learn and make connections and feel that energy and sort of be inspired by all the 500 women who were on this path with them. Um, That was incredible to me because I'd never been in this huge group. I had done various online groups. I did hip sobriety school, which then became Tempest by Holly Whitaker. And I actually got to meet in person many of the women that I'd known for those two years. And I know when I went to Miami, there were groups of the Sober Mom Squad and the Luckiest Club and just different women from all over the country who were friends and supported each other, but had never met in person. You know, it was just wonderful. And the speakers were incredible. I know in Miami, Ashley Judd was a speaker. I can't imagine Elizabeth Gilbert, but really, really inspiring. And sort of you meet people and then you take that back and you always have just this connection with people you'd met in person even if you you know sort of see them online
1: or via email or text after that yeah and i think it's just it's inspiring because you get to see that like there are literally hundreds of people on this journey and they are all dancing and having fun and laughing and crying and doing different things but it's just i think you're wrapped in this i feel like the the whole weekend we're wrapped in this sense of hope and possibility yeah. And I just, I'd invite anybody listening to register. I'm, I hope, I'm sure we'll still have some tickets left when this is live. Yeah. We don't usually sell out till just before. And it's yeah. not. And remind late. us of the date of the. It, so yeah, the symposium is on Thursday, September 28th. Okay. So... And then the weekend is Friday, the 29th of September to Sunday, October 1st.
0: Okay. Very, very cool. Well, so as we wrap up, one of the things I like about your book of daily meditations is regardless of if you are at the beginning of your journey or you're a number of years along like I am, one thing I always make sure to talk to people about is Recovery, not drinking, whatever it is, does not need to define your life. For many years after I stopped drinking, I did not want to quote unquote be a woman in recovery. Like I just didn't like that term. But I was very clear that I was, that I was someone who used to drink a lot and didn't drink anymore. That was part of my identity because I felt better without it. And it was very important to me to, Make sure that on a daily basis, the fact that I didn't drink anymore was part of my identity, was part of my consciousness, was important to me because I had not done that before and slipped back. And so part of that is the people I knew who also didn't drink. Part of that was, you know, in recovery, part of that was being accountable, like my husband, my friends, my whoever knew that I used to drink and I didn't. Anymore, But part of that is is daily reminders and just touching base with the fact that this is part of your life. And I feel like your She Recovers Every Day book, The Meditations for Women, because it's one page every day and it's sort of a grounding practice that doesn't take a lot of time, is one of those things that can just be like, oh, yeah. This is good. This is what I'm doing. This is important.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And, and you know, for me, recovery is just life, right? I mean, I guess I, I used to have a recovery identity that was like 12 step and that was my recovery. That was my identity. Now, I, I mean, I do a lot of recovery based things, obviously with being the kind of having something called she recovers. It's such a big part of my life. Yeah, but, um, I'm just on a healing journey. I'm just on a journey, you know, healing or not, but I figure that I am healing. And so the daily meditation book is really about life. Yeah. It's, it's not a lot about substances. It's not a lot about kind of the things It's it's about possibility. It's about just about ideas, you know, just kind of things that I hope that a lot of women can relate to. It's about being a mom or a friend or a partner or a person with a business or whatever it is. So yeah, I just, I hope that people are treating it like a touchstone. Honestly, just to give yourself a couple of minutes a day where you're focusing on a thought that is a healthy, maybe inspiring, maybe thought-provoking, self-reflective thought. And, you know, we don't often give ourselves those moments throughout our busy days. So that's how I hope people are using it. Just kind of as a check-in. Hey, I'm here and I'm human and I'm going to think about this for a minute.
0: When it's also sort of just taking care of yourself, right? It's just, I'm reading something. I mean, I, one of the things I love about She Recovers and I'm also a She Recovers coach. So clearly, um, very inspired and aligned with the work you're doing is the idea that we're all recovering from something, um, not just an addiction but mm-hmm. whether it's a mental health issue like anxiety or depression a difficult relationship um unavailable parents um I know on retreats I've met women who are recovering from breast cancer or an eating disorder or disordered eating or whatever it is are so you- i feel like there's so many layers to just being human that yeah. as we grow and start taking care of ourselves better, um, we start recovering from those as well. Totally. That's the plan. Yeah. Is there any reading you want to leave us with that you particularly, if someone's listening to this, you think is, is a good one?
1: I would, you know, I always think that the most important message I have is for somebody who really is struggling. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's like listening, maybe because they're having the hell of a time. They don't kind of know how to move out of the rut that they're in. So I, I wrote something on November 30th called One Day. And it kind of exemplifies the journey, my journey. But I'm speaking, you know, I think it's a lot of people's journey. Um, if you've struggled with substances, including alcohol, it's called One Day. One day you will look in the mirror and see a woman you don't recognize. It will be a very bad day. You will make the decision to go searching for who you were. You will look back over your past and contemplate where things went wrong and acknowledge what you did right. You will identify the patterns that ruled and probably still rule your life. You will go back and forth on the decision to find yourself again and put various amounts of effort into doing it but you will be proud of even the smallest steps you take forward. You will dig a little deeper and try a little harder. And one day you will realize that you have changed a pattern that keeps you from being your highest self. And you will buy yourself flowers because damn right you are worthy. And then one day you will share your story with another woman who has been where you have been. Through mutual acceptance and understanding, you will both remember that you are whole and worthy and living examples of how we heal. That will be a very good day. Take each day as it comes. There are learnings in each one. That is
0: beautiful. That's perfect. So let's end on that. But please tell everyone how they can find your book, She
1: Recovers, About the Retreat, all the things. Well, I'd love it if you would order my book from our friend Ingrid's indie bookstore. And you can do that at Three Trees Books online. And if you can't, if you're Canadian or, uh, or it's difficult for you to get it through there, it's available wherever new books are sold. So anywhere online and in quite a few bookstores these days, you can find my website is www.donnickel.com. She recovers is www.sherecovers.org. And if you want to know more about our retreats that that the retreats that Taryn and I host uh, and on Salt Spring Island in particular, you can find out more at um, www.terranstrong.com. and we at this moment we have just a couple of spots left in our Salt Spring retreats this August. But I think yeah, those are the kind of main websites to find out about me and us.
0: Yeah, so thank you. And thank I
1: you. will. I know that
0: was a number of different ones. So if you go to the show notes of this show, we'll have all the links, so you can just click through if you're if you're looking to find those as well. Well. Don, I love talking to you. You know that you were a huge part of my story for the last
1: decade. And so I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you. And I admire so much the work that you're doing with women. And I appreciate you. And it's always lovely to speak with you. You have a wonderful, wonderful podcast interviewing style. And I feel very comfortable every time we chat. Thank you. Thank
0: you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves.